Right, this audio book is a very interesting book about a prison. Now, you think prison is horrible. Well, this prison is horrible, but also very luxurious. It depends on how much money you have. This is a very interesting story about a prison in Bolivia, an English drug trafficker who got caught at the airport with Kokana and got sent to prison and he could either if he didn't have money in prison he would be down in the tunnel with the rats and the crackheads and freeze to death but if he had money he could be his own cocaine distributor and he could live in a five-star hotel suite with plenty of women, money, guests, respect, and everything you would wish to have in your house. This prison is a society. People in Bolivia want to go to prison because it's a world. It is a society. Poor and rich. All depends on how much money you have. Now get into the story of if you heard the book, you must read, but I will do my best to give you a good audio book of it. It's called Marching Powder. Now here we go. Prison. After Yashida left, I tried my hardest not to think about her, but it was impossible. Although we had only been together for five weeks, it felt like a lot longer because we had spent almost every minute of every day together, and I was already used to having her around. I took the batteries out of my clock because I found that watching the hours go by made things go slower. Besides, what was the point of keeping track of time in prison? Without her, the only thing I had to do each day was report for the morning lister. And that they always sounded a bell. Basically, my life went back to being exactly the same as it was before me and her met. Only now it was worse because had I had a taste of what it was like to be happy again, I got back into my old routine. Spending the days in my room and keeping myself as busy as possible with all the things I could do to take up time. But even without ticking clock to remind me, each they passed very slowly. After local, I slept for as long as possible and then took a long time over grooming, shallowing, shaving, doing hair and rubbing skin cream in my face. Next would clean the room for at least an hour. It was never really dirty because I never did anything that made any mess. So after a while, I usually became very bored. If I smoked a joint beforehand, 
it made things a lot more fun because I would forget where I had put things and would have to spend ages trying to find them again. After cleaning and smoking weed, I always had a big appetite, especially if I hadn't eaten breakfast. I still loved preparing and cooking food, but it wasn't enjoyable cooking a meal for only one person and sitting alone to eat it. One thing I really liked to do was watch my favorite Latin talk show, Lola. The program was the same every single day, but it always made me laugh. I never missed it. Lola is a nice little middle-aged woman who invites couples to appear on national TV in front of a live audience and then ask them if they love each other. Yes, truly, forever, till I die, was always the answer. I couldn't be with anyone else, never, not even if you paid me. Lola then points to a big television screen that shows video footage of the man being unfaithful and all hell breaks loose. The girlfriend starts screaming and attacking her boyfriend but they calm her down. The boyfriend apologizes for what he has done. That was a mistake, he says. I'm so sorry. You're the only one. It was the only one with the girl. It didn't mean anything. I love you so much. Then Lola raises her eyebrows as if to say, Really? Is that so? and again points to the big screen, which shows video footage of the man being unfaithful again, this time with another woman. The girlfriend starts really going banana, breaking furniture in the process. Eventually the security guards have to escort her off stage. While the audience cheers her and boos the boyfriend, Meanwhile, Lola gets the third tape queued up, just in case. In the afternoons, I read until my eyes hurt, then try to watch the evening news, just as I used to with Ricardo. But things had changed. I hardly saw Ricardo these days, and I now found the news too depressing. In the news, there was never any happy stories. It was always about government corruption or murder, or something else bad that had happened in the world. The main news headlines at that time were about a gang of rapists that had finally been captured, and a government official, Gabriel Sanchez, who managed off to run off with $40 million from the government workers' pension fund. They arrested him but let him go on bail and he fled the country, causing a nationwide scandal. When I couldn't handle watching television, I smoked dope and jerked off and listened to Bob Marley on my tape player instead. I had always liked Bob Marley's music even before I went to prison. I had memories of hearing some of the classic songs on the radio from when I was just a young little pup. Even before I knew that Bob Marley was the singer, 
I would, now that I was in San Pedro, I began to listen to the lyrics properly, and I liked him even more. His music is really simple but powerful, and it gave me a lot of hope in my difficult times. Whenever I felt bad, I would smoke a joint and put on a cassette of his, and he would chill me down a lot. Listening to Bob made me realize that I was not the only one who had faced tough things in life. It helped, but it didn't make me stop thinking about Yashida. The time of day I missed her most was in the evening. When the prison went quiet for a few hours while everyone was cooking, that was when we used to have our best conversations. I also missed her doing the nights in the cell with me. It took longer to get warm when I went to bed. I also took ages to get to sleep, even if I smoked a lot of weed. One night I had a terrible dream that she hadn't gone to Mankyo Pichu at all. She had flown back to Israel and was seeing her ex-boyfriend again. I knew it was a silly dream, but I couldn't get back to sleep. I lay there wondering if she was thinking about me. I doubted it. She was probably having the time of her life. Apart from a visit from two of my lawyers, I spent Christmas completely alone that year. Sylvia had other commitments with the church but I was still half expecting her to drop by, or at least phone. Yashida was off who knows fucking where, having a good time. She was the best thing that had happened to me since I have been in this prison, but now I wasn't even sure if she would keep a promise and come back to see me in prison and live with me. It was actually the worst Christmas I have ever had in my entire entire life. Constancia Sanchez had only come back once after she had organized the rest of my legal team. I never saw her again. The two remaining lawyers had promised to have me out by Christmas and since I had sent money to the judge I started selling my things in anticipation of my release but it hadn't happened. Merry fucking Christmas bitches. My lawyer said when I opened the door they both hooked me. They bought me a fruitcake. I should have been grateful that they had least thought of me. But seeing the cake actually made me angry. I wanted to throw it back in their fucking stupid faces. I didn't want the cake. I wanted some answers. I wasn't paying them to make me a fucking fruitcake at Christmas. I wanted them to get me out of prison. They didn't have any updates on my situation. They couldn't tell me when I would be out. In fact, they had no answers at all. Everything was up to the judge, and he hadn't communicated with them for weeks. I said, why can't you call him then? I demanded. Apparently, it was best not to pleasure him. He had received the money, so all we could do now was wait. 
My lawyer started cutting up the fruitcake. However, I was so distressed that I could not fucking eat it. They ate it in front of me, you fucks. Fruitcake was the only Christmas present I got that year. It was the world's most expensive fruitcake. All up, it had cost me over $25,000 and I didn't even eat a single slice myself. It cost even more if I included the $3,000 I had given to Constella Sanchez. Maybe I was naive to give them all that money, but they gave me a receipt for every payment and I had to trust them. They were my lawyers. They kept promising to get me released, but they were the same promises they had made six months before and nothing ever changed. Not even the promises. They used exactly the same words as before. Meanwhile, they needed some more money to pay for photocopying, a filing fee, a witness who was going to be my character reference, administration charges, someone they knew who might be able to take a message to the judge, or a specialist lawyer who was going to make a technical submission. Everything required money. I had already established that much was true after eight months in the Bolivian prison system. However, I felt that the legal fees were excessive. But what could I do? I could f fire them on the spot, but that would mean losing all the money I had already paid and starting a flesh with new lawyers who might be even fucking worse. Without the help, I couldn't see any way out. I felt I had nowhere else to turn. I began to regret not having escaped when I had the opportunity, when I spent that night out at the strip club and the cinema with one of the prison guards a couple of months before. After my lawyers left, I got a bottle of rum and started drinking it on my own. I drank it too quickly and after half a bottle I felt like vomiting so I brought a small envelope of cocaine to sober me up before finishing the rest in the section courtyard below. The celebrations were just getting underway so I bought another bottle. Christmas wasn't traditionally a big part of Bolivian calendar although it was catching on. For the children it was all about the present and this new character they were beginning to believe in called Santa Claus. For the inmate it was just another excuse to get drunk. After spending some time with their families in the morning, that was exactly what they did. The next day the party was still going, so I bought another bottle of rum and a few packets of cocaine and continued partying in my own. Christmas dragged on until it turned into New Year's Eve and then it stopped suddenly and the prison returned to normal. Not for me though, I carried on drinking in my room and thinking about Yashida and worrying about whether I would ever get out of there. Later that week I was resting on my bed listening to Bob Marley 
when I heard a loud chanting coming from the outside. It was the kind of noise that was made by a big football crowd. American viewers soccer crowd. At first I ignored it, thinking it was a drunken neighbor watching a game on television at full volume. But the noise grew louder. I could tell that the voices were real. Even then I assumed that it was just a group of angry protesters passing by in the street outside the prison. However, the sound didn't fade away. It got stronger and, judging by the volume, it seemed to be coming from somewhere inside the prison. I got up and opened my door to investigate. From my doorway, the noise was even louder. Although I couldn't see them or catch what they were saying, there must have been hundreds of men shouting the same two words, over and over. The sound was definitely coming from another section in the jail, but even in the pinos, a general panic had broken out. Our normal tranquil section courtyard was in absolute chaos, with inmates running about in confusion, shouting urgently. My neighbors also started coming out of their rooms to see what all the fuss was as soon as they heard the chanting, they slammed the doors behind them and ran downstairs. Something was definitely going on. I didn't know what, but it was big. That was for sure. What's happening? Where are you going? I tried asking, but no one had time to answer. They were all too busy running down the stairs and out of the section towards the uproar. I eventually managed to slow someone down enough to get a response, but only the word I could actually make out as he slipped past me was, Violators! Violators! Unfortunately, I didn't know what the fuck he meant. There was almost no one left in the section to explain it to me. They had all disappeared. It must have been the mass breakout. I was about to miss out. In fact, I might already be too late. I dropped in my trainers and grabbed all my money I could find in my room. I would have liked to have taken more stuff, but there wasn't time to look for anything else. Besides, anything I had to carry would only slow me down. I hadn't even done up my shoelaces before I was running so fast towards the main courtyard that I almost tripped over. As I approached the section getaway, gateway, the noise became defining and I could finally make out what they were shouting. Dragon laws! Dragon laws! Dragon laws! I didn't understand what that meant either and I still didn't know what was going on. When I arrived at the courtyard, I had to stop suddenly. There were so many people that you could hardly move. Apart from when we had to line up together and sing the Bolivian National Anthem. I had never seen so many inmates in one place. I stood there out of breath, looking around wildly for a hole in the wall or an open gate so I could get the fuck out. 
while the crowd surged around, shouting and yelling and punching their fists in the air. Dragon laws! Dragon laws! They chanted, but I couldn't see where they were escaping from. A big roar then went up from the crowd and it just towards the narrow corridor that led down to the inside sections. Ahead I saw that men had been lifted above the heads of the crowd and were being carried down the passageway. Most prisoners started heading that way, so I joined them and, being taller and stronger than most of them, I managed to push my way through faster. I accidentally knocked a few people over in my haste. I didn't know exactly where we were going or what we were doing, but I wasn't going to miss out. When we reached the main section of the Kancha, everyone stopped running and I noticed that another man had been hoisted above the crowd. The pair were looking around, worriedly wanting to get down, but I assumed that was because they were afraid of being dropped. Still, the crowd, all the crowd was shrinking, Triangle-loss! 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 But now that we weren't moving, I concluded it wasn't a breakout after all. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I didn't know what to think, really. But it was obvious that no one was escaping. Maybe they had won a football match. Or it was some type of protest and these men were the leaders. The main action was concentrated around where the slimming pool was located. I thought perhaps they were going to be thrown into the water as part of the celebration. I wanted to get a closer look, so I started pushing towards the pool. The crowd strayed back and forth violently and I really had to use my strength to get through. Then there was a huge splash and a warlike roar went up from the spectators. I still couldn't see what was going on, but if it was a celebration, it was a very angry one. There was another splash as the second man went in, and this time everyone cheered. No one wanted to let me forward, but I was determined to see. So I continued the struggle. The closer to the pool I got, the more aggressive the crowd became. When it seemed I could get no closer to the pool, I recognized the giant inmate with the scarred face towering next to me and asked him what was happening. What is it? Who are they? I shouted above the intense clamor of the crowd. The scary big man. Los Viadoras! Sivan Mior! He pointed to the third man who had just been brought into the section and was being carried towards the pool. There was that word I didn't understand again. Violadolas! Violadolas! I understood the second part though. They are going to die? What does Valadola mean? I tugged at his sleeve and when I heard the word Valakashon! Valakashon! I finally understood. These men were the gang rapists I had seen arrested on television before Christmas. 
Somehow I made it to the very front, staying about half a meter from the edge of the pool, for safety since the people behind me were still pushing and fighting to move forward. From there I could see exactly what was happening. There were now two men in the water and I got there just as one of them was struggling to get out via the steps that ran down the side of the pool. I don't know what they had done to him beforehand, but he was bleeding from the cuts and the wound and looked like he was exhausted. However, the crowd would not let him out. As soon as he made it to the final step, one of the spectators barged him with his shoulder tackle and he went straight back in the swimming pool, hitting his head on the concrete edge on the steps as he fell. Everyone laughed and another cheer went up from the crowd. At first I thought they were just going to teach him a lesson, but then things got more serious. When he tried to get out the second time, someone attempted to loop a length of electrical cable around his neck. He managed to free himself using his hands and jumped back into the water. But then the crowd began throwing things at him. Rocks! Or anything they could get their hands on. And kicking him whenever he came near the edge of the swimming pool. This went on for quite some time. Bit by bit. They were drowning him. I stood glued to the spot. Fascinated. The second rapist was having even more trouble. He was also being beaten and bombarded with chunks of brick. But it was worse for him because he couldn't swim. He was splashing about everywhere, wasting most of his energy trying to stay afloat. He kept going under and swallowing mouthfuls of water. I think after a short time he realized that if he didn't get out of the pool soon, he would drown. When he came up to the air for the next time, he looked around frantically for a way out. Seeing that the stairs were guarded, he pulled his hands over the cement edge to pull himself up. But one of the inmates stamped on the, them hard and he cried out. Then he tried again on the other side of the pool, but this time two inmates trod on his fingers and ground them fingers straight into the concrete. He struggled to pull his hands free, but with the full weight of the man crushing down on each hand, he couldn't do it. He didn't stand the chance. Then another prisoner from the crowd stepped forward and booted him hard in the face and he fell back. Almost unconscious, held above the water only because his fingers were still trapped. When the men lifted their feet, the rapist's hands fell away and he slipped under the surface for quite some time. In the inside of me, part of me wanted to help him, but there was no way I could fight against so many people. It would have been too dangerous to attempt to drag him out with thousands of angry prisoners behind me who wanted him dead. Besides, a strange part of me wanted to see what would happen. I continued watching with a sick curiosity. He was still alive, although only just. He made it up 
for air coughing and managed to recover enough breath to start splashing around again. Not for long though. The third lapis was now thrown on top of him and that man's hip bone connected directly with his head. Everyone roared with laughter. After that he didn't surface again. While all this was happening, the first lapis had still been trying to get out. One of the prisoners had faced a plank of wood and the next time the lapis came near the steps, he smashed it over his head and he also began to lose consciousness. Meanwhile, another prisoner had got hold of a live electrical cable and was dipping two wires in the water trying to electrocute him. At that point he looked like he was about to give in. One more hit would have finished him. But that was when all the attention turned to the third rapist, who had just been thrown in. The third rapist went straight for the steps but the crowd punched him and kicked him and the blows sent him tumbling back into the pool. When he surfaced and tried to lift himself over the edge, the spectator with a thick cable whipped him across the face and his whole cheek just fucking opened up. He managed to avoid the man with the wooden plank and tried again and again to scramble out. But each time he got to the edge he was kicked in the head and pushed back in. Eventually he found his way to the stairs again and this time forced his way up. Taking all the blows with newfound strength, even when a plank of wood was cracked across his face, he didn't stop. I thought he was going to make it, but then I saw a hand shoot out of the cloud and strike him just below the ribs. It wasn't a very hard blow, but I could tell immediately that something was wrong. He just froze like a statue on top step and looked down to where he had been hit. Then he crushed his stomach and it began to bleed. He'd been stabbed. Because he hesitated, the next punch hit him properly and his impact caused him to overbalance. Someone spat on him and another kick sent him tumbling into the water in the swimming pool. Even though he was bleeding heavily, he kept trying to get out but every time he approached the edge, a chair went up from the crowd as a man with a plank of wood forced him to retreat. I could tell that he was getting tired. Eventually, he stayed in the very middle, just out of reach of the prisoner with the plank of wood. The water began turning a nasty brown color and next to him, the body of a second lapis floated to the surface. With the crowd's attention fixed on attacking this third lapis, the first man had managed to climb out of the pool without being noticed. He was lying half drowned, only two feet from where I was standing, dripping water and blood, panting desperately to recover his breath. I thought he had enough punishment so they would just leave him alone. But now that third rapist was out of reach in the middle of the pool and the inmates turned their focus back on him. Someone kicked him in the neck. Then another prisoner started stomping his head 
Another one actually jumped on his head with both feet. I heard the most horrible sound as his skull split, man. I hadn't done anything about them attacking the lepers before, but seeing this was too much for me. Stop it! Stop it! I shouted in English and a few people looked at me, wondering what I was saying. I was so distressed I couldn't remember any Spanish. You're killing him! You're killing him! At that point I think I must have started going into some kind of shock because of what I was seeing. Because my memory of what happened after that is a bit confused. Certain things are very clear, but there are gaps where I don't remember properly. And everything happened so quickly that it's difficult to remember the exact order. Basta! Basta! Think I yelled again more forcefully, remembering the Spanish. This time they understood and I could see their angry faces telling me not to get involved. But I moved forward to stop them because I couldn't bear what I was seeing. It was too horrible. I just wanted it to stop. Then the crowd started to turn against me. One of the men made a movement to hit me. And when I put my hands up to defend myself, someone grabbed me around the neck from behind and pulled me backwards. It was a thick, strong arm that held me, but I managed to free myself by lifting my feet off the ground and using my falling weight to slip from under his grip. Clenching my fist, I turned to defend myself against the attacker, but it was the big man with the scar. He must have been twice my size and there was no way I could win against him. So I tried to step sideways, but someone pushed me in the back and he grabbed me with his big fucking hands again, spinning me around like a yo-yo, effortlessly getting me into another hold from behind like I was in a pro wrestling match. I had never felt anyone so strong in my life, and all I could do was avoid being thrown in the water myself was to use my legs. I got a good foothold on the ground and jumped backwards with all my force trying to push both back away from the pool or to knock us over so to make it more difficult for them to get me in the pool. It didn't work though. The man with the scar was so big and heavy his feet were so firmly planted on the ground that nothing happened. I tried to push us back again and again, but we weren't going anywhere. Instead, he tightened his grip and lifted me up so that the only my toes were touching the concrete. In that position, all I could do was wiggle helplessly and kick at, any, at anyone around me. The crowd moved out of the way, leaving an almost clear passage to the water. There was only one thing on the ground between myself and the pool and it was the most horrifying thing I have ever seen in my life. I only saw it for a few moments before I was lifted completely off the ground and I will never, ever, ever forget it. I thought that I was about to be thrown in the pool but the opposite occurred. Still gripping me strongly under these big arms, the big man with the scar pulled me away from the pool. 
half dragging, half lifting me through the angry mob until we were in the open. He didn't harm me at all. And once we were outside the crowd and away from the danger, he let me stand up properly. Twinkle your he said in my ear, trying to calm me down. When I finally realized he wasn't trying to hurt me, I stopped struggling and he loosens his grip slightly. Tranquilua, see, he repeated, letting me go completely. When I turned and looked at him, he gave me a warning look, said something about not interfering, then went back into the crowd, leaving me standing on my own. I was now safe from the attack, but I was so shocked by what I have seen that I started shaking uncontrollably. I ran for my life back up through the passes that led to the main courtyard, which was completely empty. There were lots of policemen gathered at the gate staring towards where the cheering and shouting was coming from. I ran back into the finals and through the empty section courtyard with my footsteps echoing off the walls. It seemed that no one there, but out of the corner of my eye I saw a door move slightly and instinctively turned my head. I couldn't see properly because the opening was narrow, but there was a woman who was nursing a baby peering out, watching me. I think my shoelaces must still have been undone, or maybe it was because my muscles were so weak that they couldn't support my weight. I tripped and fell on the concrete. When I tried to get to my feet, I fell back down. Then I had seen a what I seen at the pool came back to me and I started vomiting. The lippy skull had been cracked. On top of his head was completely open. So I could see light inside. A section of his skull was still attached and it looked like a lid with the brain spilling out over and onto the concrete. There was also a lot of blood. A thick dark pool of it had formed around his head. He was probably dead by then, but the enemies just keep jumping up and down on top of him. There was a horrible crunching sound and his skull fractured into small pieces. Brains kept coming out and his head was squashed flat. Everything was a big, sticky mess and different colors with clumps of hair mixed in. The blood itself was really dark red color, but there were also grey and blue parts of the brain that looked like raw meat. I think I even saw something that was green. I remember one of the prisoners had stopped then and st stood back from the body. I thought he must have finally finished, but it was just to wipe his shoes on the concrete because they were all bloody and then there were stringy pieces of brain and bits of hair stuck to them. Ugh. Then he went back and kept treading on the mangled face. Behind him the water had turned a horrible murky brown colour and the crowd had started attacking the third rapist again. He was too exhausted to escape and was trying to keep out of their reach in the middle of the pool. Using the face down body of the second rapist to stay afloat but that's all I saw because the man with the scar started pulling me away. But it was too much for me. I had never before seen anyone killed. 
I never even seen a dead body. And to see someone killed like that. As brutal as that was, right in front of me was the most horrible experience of my life. No one deserves to die like that. I don't care what they have done. I vomited again. I thought the woman with the baby would come out to help me. But when I looked up at her, the door clicked shut. I looked around thinking that someone else might be able to help me. But everything shut up. There wasn't a single soul in this section. They were all down by the last piscina or behind their doors. So I had to make it up to my room on my own. As soon as I opened the door, I vomited on the carpet. I hadn't even felt it coming. After a few more times, there was no food left in my stomach. But all the muscles inside my body kept contracting if there was. I leaned forward supporting myself over the table with a stream of thick saliva hanging from the corner of my mouth until the contractions subsided. Then I sat down on the chair feeling weak and wiped my mouth clean using my t-shirt. It was only then that I noticed the Bob Marley tape was still playing. My stereo was set on playback and Bob hadn't stopped singing about peace and hope for humanity.